All right, yes, we hit record before we open the bottle. We're, ne we're now recording. You're welcome to open the bottle. Jimmy. Recording's going to trigger that, then yeah, I'm ready to start recording. <laughs> Welcome to Career Crossroads Uncorked, a series of member chats inspired by good drinks and current talent acquisition trends. Your hosts, Chris Hoy and Jerry Crispin, break down today's recruiting headlines while reviewing a select beverage of choice with industry leaders and influencers. Join us for a drink in conversation. All right, so you get Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin from CXR on the line, and we have with us for today's Uncorked, Rob Daughtery. Rob, how are you? I'm doing awesome, man. It's uh, I'm living the, the life at, uh, in North Carolina these days with, uh, with Lowe's. Yeah, now how long have you been at Lowe's? Uh, I started, I think, the last day of January. So January 31st was my first day. So it's been a, um, a heck of an introduction when you look at, uh, you know, the, the book, The First 90 Days. Mine's been nothing like that. So throw in, um, let's see, on, on about week four, there was a, a ski accident, which led to shoulder surgery right in the middle of COVID with civil unrest. It's been a hell of an eight months. Oh my God. It's, it's been a year. I'm ready for 2020 to go home. Yes. I am too. But on the other hand, I will say for 2020, if I had picked the one person who made the most appropriate move <laughs> for, for a COVID that had not yet become evident, as opposed to the middle of COVID, um, I would nominate you as being, you know, right up there at the top to have left in airlines that, that you know is not going to be working a hell of a lot in COVID for, for a place that's going to, you know, have some interesting challenges uh, to how they are going to operate totally differently, but are, are certainly going to be important for how people um, handle COVID. Uh, <laughs> it's, I couldn't imagine a more perfect segue, if you will, to, to survival. So I think that was fabulous. Yeah, I'll tell you what, by, uh, by the time I finished this bottle, I would have told you I'd, I had the insight that this was going to happen and the airlines were going to crash and Lowe's as an essential employer when an essential business would completely take off. But um, since I really haven't started yet, I'll, uh, I, I can't tell that story. So um, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely, you know, those, those, um, the, the things and choices you make at, at certain times that you don't quite know how they're going to turn out. And uh, this has certainly been a, been a blessing and, and certainly excited to, uh, to be here. Well, I have to tell you. Oh, go ahead, Jerry. I was just going to say, how do you handle the back and forth with family? Because you still have a house in uh, Dallas, right? Or yes, I do. Thereabouts. Yep. So, um, you know, still a very loyal uh, customer now of American Airlines. So, um, so back and forth. Um, they come out here. There's a, a lot of FaceTime. Um, you know. Uh, so we we're, we're figuring it out, you know, during the kind of COVID times, um, you know, I spent a lot of time back in Dallas and, and we're still working remote for the most part um, here at Lowe's. So it's, uh, you know, with the kids kind of doing remote school, that's been, you know, that's been a, uh, make it a little bit easier to where they can come out here and, and vice versa. Well, it took me, uh, as you, as you probably saw, it took me five good minutes to get into this bottle. The, I was the, wondering, I was wondering if you had a cork issue or what was happening over there. I had, it's, this bottle is probably the most difficult, uh, or I'm just that thirsty, uh, <laughs> the most difficult bottle for me to get into. So our theme, Rob, what kind of wine did you pick? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, our, our good friends over at E&J Gallo and Ryan Cook and, um, the, the ultimate of ultimate hosts who um, I don't know how, how you know, any CXR um, client could ever top the way they, uh, the way they host events. I said, go pick your, your favorite red wine as long as it's, a, it's an E&J wine. So uh, cheers, to, uh, cheers to Ryan and his team. Cheers to the Gala team. Cheers to happy hour on a Friday. Yes, indeed. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, and, and so you have the um, Martini Reserve or whatever, Yes, I do. So I picked out the, uh, so as I missed part of the, uh, the um, wine tasting last week for a work call, I missed when we opened this, the Louis Martini Napa uh, Reserve. So um, I decided to share that with you guys tonight. So that's what I opened. Well done. Un unfortunately, we did not miss that last week. And so <laughs> there was no, no martini that we could continue to uh, open or drink. Yes. So there was, we, so seven hours that call went on for Rob. Seven hours 
with, yeah. with 70 liters and six bottles of wine each. There was a uh, lot. I'll tell you what. I slept in on Saturday. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, did. I did too. So, so Jerry, what did, what'd you bring? What's your bottle? What wine did you pick for today? I, um, well, I, I picked an Orange Swift um, bottle of Palermo. That's a good and one. It's a it's a good one. It's um, it's it's really well well designed. Um, I I can't do all of the the words. I I need to get that chart that cheat sheet yeah. that I <laughs> that's right. Have so I could talk about the violets and um, and metal and other shit that uh, that goes on with all of this. But yes, that that uh, he's got it. Yep, I've got that somewhere over there. <laughs> the wine lexicon. I know. <laughs> Yes, the wine. I think that was. I think that's a great one. You know, and you just. Oh yeah. So, cinnamon. I. You know, I have notes of cinnamon coming through in my. You know, whatever. Yeah, I'm getting this tattooed on my back. And how about you, Chris? I, I picked uh, machete. So machete. Mm, uh, yep. It is. It is an interesting red. Also an orange swift. Right. It's also an orange. Um, got a racy kind of label on it uh kind of oh. edgy yeah yeah uh but it's a good it's a good one i have a funny story if you'd like to hear it about how how i was introduced to this wine okay to hear it. well i don't know if it's funny but it's a fun story so we did our social we did a, a a live social back in the day when you know people could travel and would go to meet each other it seems like a lifetime ago uh but we did it i was still living in texas uh, we did it in California, and we did it in a restaurant where there was a minimum purchase required, right? You, where you sign a minimum when they're when you're hosting an event. And we didn't meet our minimum at the social that we put on, so I had to burn X amount, or it was just throwing it away, right? X amount of the money. Well, the nicest wine that they had uh, that at that particular restaurant was the Machete, and so I bought eight of them. Uh, to, and, and, and then two of the TA leaders, uh, one of them lived, well, both lived local, two of the TA leaders, we went back to one of their houses, uh, one of their homes, and, and drank one of them. And then the night was over. Well, I've had a stash at that leader's house <laughs> for, like, for like four months. And every time I was in the neighborhood, he would like, come on over and drink one of these bottles. <laughs> so, so my introduction was that, and then just to keep a cash uh, of these wines sitting over in Silicon Valley was was nice. So that's my that's Very my machine. <clears throat> I like it. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. But it's a good wine. I like it. Yeah, How Orange did... Swift is a lot of good. I've never had a bad Orange Swift, so but it's great. No, this um, this one Palermo, the smell is just really great. It reminds me of tea, and uh, um, the taste has an awful lot of berries in them. I don't know raspberries or whatever. But I'm liking it. Good. So, so Rob, what's keeping you up at night with with regards to recruiting? Man, I'll tell you. There's um, the amount of hiring that we do, um, right? So, coming from American Airlines, like I thought we did, you know, high volume. It's like, yeah, you know, we did fifteen thousand hires a year. That was pretty good. And then I got here, and uh, in the first six months, we hired over two hundred thousand people. So, <laughs> so. It was, um, you know, for, for us, you know, we, we have a, um, we, we don't have strong tech stack. We don't have very efficient processes, right? We've got we've to throw bodies at it. What I do have is some really, really um, bright, smart people that, that work for me and some incredibly talented and hardworking people that, um, that kind of grind through things. So typically we have, you know, seasonality to our business. So you have um, you know, kind of all this spring hiring and then it kind of levels back off and, and drops down. Well, for us, spring has never ended. So we're, you know, we just had a situation uh, about three weeks ago, we needed to go higher. We were about 20,000 people down and, um, you know, kind of really started cranking the engines back and, um, you know, got that down to where about 4,000 that we need to hire. So, you know, the, the good news is we can, we can do things pretty quick. There's a lot of, a lot of things that we can do. I'm excited for what um, kind of we've got planned for, for 2021 and, and beyond. But, um, you know, I've, I've got an organization where, you know, if, if we're not staffed, we, um, you know, we don't sell stuff. So it absolutely is, is impactful to the business. And that was one of the things I was really looking for somewhere that, you know, the, the staffing and recruiting mattered. Um, so it's been a, 
you know, like I said, it's, it's one of those situations that feels like I've been here, you know, two months and it feels like I've been here four years, um, you know, and it's, you know, seven and a half or whatever it's been. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride so far. That's well, that's, that's a lot. I mean, I, you've got an awful lot of recruiters too. You've got a big team. Yeah. So our team right now is a little over 500 people, um, which is, I mean, I, I'm sure there's bigger out there, right? But, but it's the biggest one that, that I've, you know, certainly that I've been a part of, um, you know, and again, it's, it's not efficient, right? There's a lot of things that we can do and, and we've got to do a better job of arming our team with the right resources and tools, you know, so they, they don't have to, you know, there it's, it's a lot of uh, kind of MacGyvering with, um, you know, bubble gum and duct tape. <laughs> well, that's a lot of the conversation that's been going on with, I think a lot of teams these days as well is really what, what are, the right tools and what is the transparency that we should be pushing down to the to the recruiter that we're holding accountable for any number of different kinds of activities like yeah. diversity of slate for example hot one and, That's and hot what one. is the data that they need in order to accomplish mm -hmm. that and be held accountable and can we push a button and see whether or not what they did is what we expected of them yep you know, so that you can audit that, but also audit whether or not if they did do that, did the hiring managers choose folks with the same uh, with the same precision, let's say. Yeah. Um, and if not, uh, you know, who's who's working that particular problem? Is it TA or is it you and your counterparts in HR? Yeah, it's um, you know, that's an interesting one. And it's you know, there, there's, you know, one of the things I always find interesting, right? And there's so many companies that, you know, you talk about diversity of slate, which is absolutely critical. Um, the problem is that I always have and, and coming up through recruiting and being a recruiter, it's like, how do you hold me accountable for something that I can't impact, right? So, so many times you look at, you know, diverse slates, it's always that, that lagging indicator. So it's like, okay, we get done with a, a month or a quarter or a search, let's go back and see how we did. Um, it shouldn't really seem fair to the recruiter. So, you know, how do you, how do you leverage technology or some tools to actually be very deliberate, right, to, um, to expand your slate, right, and do it in an anonymous way um, to ensure that I can go back to a hiring manager and say, hey, I'm giving you a diverse slate. Like, your job now is to interview that slate, right, and um, hopefully that leads to more that leads to more hires and makes a choice. And then over yeah. time you see what the, we what, see what the impact of that is. Yeah. And the well, other yeah, big yeah. one, the, the other big piece, that second part of it, right. Is that diversity of interview panel, because if you just go right, if you have unconscious bias, I'm going to choose people that look like me. Um, if I have a bunch of, you know, three of us white males, right. Then, you know, you would think that more than likely based off of statistics, they're going to choose more white males. Um, and, and also from the candidate side, right? So if I am a, you know, a, a person of color or female, right, do I see myself in these people that I'm interviewing with? And usually it's going to be a level up. And if I don't, I'm asking the question, you know, am I really valued here? Do I have an opportunity for career growth? Or am I kind of hitting a, a glass ceiling because, you know, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't see myself in the people that I'm interviewing. So we know, so we know Robert, the, that there are solutions to these uh, part of, that are little pieces, you know, the, yeah. the unconscious bias training, the ability to audit um, and have quicker in, in response rates that show on the aggregate we hired 10,000, of the last 10,000 people we hired, the percentage of the slate was 35% and the percentage selected was 32. Yep. So that's within, um, that's within statistical whatever, and yes. uh, we're good with that. But can we ratchet a little bit better? You know, everybody wants to improve. But we don't even do that. So we don't usually have that kind of information in real time that allows us then to recalibrate, let alone giving that data to the to the recruiter. <laughs> yeah, well, right. hasn't that, but hasn't that always been the challenge? It's not. We talk about technology that's going to enable us, but historically, it's always been the information that's sort of hindered us. Like we, we, you know, back before all of this societal unrest bubbled a lot of these challenges up to, to shine a spotlight on where we should have been shining a spotlight on for a very long time. Like the challenge was uh, you, you were tasking recruiters with creating a diverse slate, but we're hiding 
the self-identification information yeah. from them, or we're not sharing, you know, that level. And it's a, it's an old argument, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's still a very valid argument today. Uh, and we just, I mean, we just had a call this week with with several leaders, and some of them, they their hands are still tied. They're still not allowed to show the recruiters diversity information, and they're trying to find technology to to work around that to sort of cheat that. Yeah. So that's um, you know, we we implemented something at. Um, at American and, and have this on the roadmap at, at Lowe's, right? That's, you know, it's, it's in, in simplest terms, right? If you think of, you know, that, that's that spot between I'm a recruiter, right? I'm, I've talked to people I'm reviewing, I'm ready to present my slate. So before they actually go to that hiring manager review or whatever, whatever you call it, you know, they kind of go into what I call purgatory a little bit, right? And basically the technology will send, um, it'll, it'll pull the EEO data. So you don't see it, right? But basically pulls the EEO data, bases it off of how you've defined whatever your, whatever, however you define diverse slates, right? Could be a percentage, could be a number. Um, you know, we did one person of color, one female can't be, can't be the same. And um, basically kicks back and says either yes or no, you meet the requirements. And if you don't, right, we say, okay, you can expand, like, don't, don't go take people out. Cause at the end of the day, it's still about hiring the best person, you know, mm -hmm. but you can expand that slate. So we had a lot of arguments, not arguments, discussion early on, right, of, okay, if I'm, if my typical slate is five people, right, if I take that up to eight or nine, right, to ensure that I now have a diverse slate of people, but, you know, am I, um, you know, am I now making it hard for the hiring manager because they have more people? And you can't have it both ways. So if you, for us, it was like, we're going to make a stand. We're going to be very deliberate. And, you know, our goal going in was we want at least 80% of our slates to be diverse. And once we started doing it, it was about 94% were diverse. And there were some just very, very unique ones that, that, um, that weren't. And, um, you know, we saw that kind of throughout the funnel because then what we, we came back to the managers and said, look, I'm giving you a diverse slate based off of how they've identified themselves. Now it's up to you. Like, I need you to interview this slate, right? We made sure we also use that same technology to drive, you know, as we put the interview teams listed, right? That pinged up against our HRIS and said, okay, yes, you have a diverse interview panel, yes or no too. So we're also to ensure that they had a diverse interview panel. So that really helped impact our diversity numbers um, just because we wanted to be very deliberate about, you know, kind of impacting that, that slate that we received and encouraging them, hey, this, this is your slate that, that you need to interview. And we saw that consistency, as Jerry, you said, kind of that 35% on the front end and 32% at the back end. So what we used to see was 35% at the, you know, front end you know, uh, 27% at interview and 20% hired, right? Or 18% hired. You just see this big, this big drop. Um, and most of those times, right, you didn't have, you know, we weren't measuring diverse slates or diverse interview panels either. So I think having those two components, right, are, are really, really key. So, you know, we were able to leverage that technology and it was a, a huge success. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing that at, at Lowe's too. And, and, you know, from the Lowe's side, I mean, we've got a great story to tell, right? There's what four African-American CEOs in the Fortune 500, which is amazing that there is only four African-American yeah, yeah. CEOs in the, in the top 500 publicly held companies. Um, well, how many females? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. Probably not that many. Not um, that many. So, you know, so so for us, right, with with the leadership of, of Marvin Ellison, um, with Lowe's being the largest, and then just looking at his track record and, and just an absolutely amazing leader, um, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, we, we need to be a destination for all diverse talents, right? So right. rather than going out and just attracting it, like how do we build ourselves as that destination to where people just think, hey, I know I can be myself. I, I, on the call last week, I love, um, I think it was Davida that mentioned, you know, they're kind of going down this from DNI to DMB and this you know, diversity and belonging. And, you know, how do you, how can you, yes. you know, your authentic selves, which I, you know, I love that because I think she, I think she said that the DNI inclusion gets you an invite to the party, but the belonging allows you to dance or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was towards the end of the night. Back. So it's a little fuzzy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and belonging is the, is kind of a foundational element mm -hmm. for community where people do care about each other. Yeah. And to do that, they need the kind of data that allows for them to better understand where they, where they fit, 
how people engage them, et cetera. And very few large companies share the kind of data that allows employees to see that they're part of this, yeah. that, they, that their pay is equitable compared to everyone else, that, you know, that their treatment in terms of opportunity is equitable compared to everyone else. And, and there's data that, that companies could be sharing around that, that some, some instances might, might cause concern. But if you, have the com- if you have the data, you can have the conversation, you can start to make changes. I, I think I'm, I'm a, just a fan. Yeah. I, I think there's sort of an interesting, so I, I had a realization not too long ago about a concept that sort of flies in the face of everything we taught as recruiters uh, back in the day, and then everything that we as recruiting leaders for the longest time were trying to deliver on, and that's hiring the best talent, right, right? in the quote-unquote war for talent. And and one of the examples I gave the other day, I think Jerry and I were talking about this on a member's call, is the concept of, of hiring the most qualified versus qualified, and how that has an, a downstream impact, I think, from an equity standpoint and an, and an example the, the example i gave just a level set really quickly was there's an organization uh that i spoke with that hires fleets thousands and thousands and thousands of drivers and they'll post a job and it's open between seven and 15 minutes and then it's closed right when they mm-hmm. post the rec and that's because they're not looking for the most qualified driver they're looking for a qualified driver a, a qualified driver that's yeah. right and they know that when they get 12 applications or 15 or whatever it was the minute they have that number, they shut the rec down because of those 15, X amount will pass the, the drug test and X amount will accept the offer and X amount, you know, they'll actually have their CDL, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's a really interesting delivery, especially for an organization like Lowe's conceptually for the, and, and retail, right, uh, of looking for the most experienced or most qualified cashier or right. the guy that works over in the, you know, the, uh, the nuts and bolts aisle, or I, I don't know how they're broken up in, right, at Lowe's, <laughs> right? but, uh, but do I need the most qualified guy, the guy who's done that the most, uh, the guy who has the most experience or, or am I better off, you know, sort of cutting that and looking for the one that has enough experience and that has that learning agility that we can, we can get them in. And yeah, that's, problem, a, that's a, go ahead, Jerry. I was going to say, part of the problem and, and the real fallacy in thinking about the most qualified is who's making that determination. And that's well, the exactly. employer. The employer is not capable of, of managing all of the variance that's required to determine what most is because it's the, it's the motivation of the candidate in the decision that they make that is the missing variance for the remainder of it. And there's plenty of people who are not necessarily the the most skilled or the most experienced or the most whatever um, on those criterion, but might be the most hungry to demonstrate that they can in fact perform and they're willing to do what it takes. And that does not come from the employer's insight. It comes from the candidate's motivation in how they're treated it's their engagement that does that. And so I'm convinced that we need to change our headset from the fact that there is one person who can do the job best to there is a pool of people, all of whom are equally potential high performers for what we want. And within that framework, if it's diverse, we can choose any number of those. And that's really where we have to move to. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And, and Chris, right, that's the, it's always the age ar- age old argument, right, that you have with hiring managers. And we, we have this today because, um, you know, I, I don't care when we're, when we're, especially we're hiring, you know, high volume hourly hiring. I don't care if they have any retail experience, right? Yeah. Give me somebody, here, here's what I want, right? This is as, as simple as it can be. And I'm still trying to figure out how to measure this. If I see a customer at the end of the aisle, walking towards me and I'm, am I, do I walk to the customer or do I turn and try to walk down a different aisle so I don't have to find it? Like if I could just figure out how to hire the person that's going to walk to the customer, smile and say, is there any idea I can help you? Find? That's like, that is success, right? That's going to drive sales. Um, that's going to give good, good customer experience. So they're going to come back, right? We did some analysis around a big focus on our pro services. So our pros are all of our general contractors, right? Huge business, it's an area we haven't done well as a, as a company, um, and, and this year we're really starting to, to nail it. So historically, right, we always said, okay, we need to go find people who 
were general contractors or you know ran their own business, right? Know everything about the pro service. The best people that we have in our pro today are ex-cashiers because they know how to treat customers, right? And mm-hmm. and these contractors come back, you know, four or five, six times a week. Like they're in there daily, right? So they just want to see a smiling face, ask them for help. Um, you know, they want to make sure that, that the product's there. Um, you know, if we say we're going to deliver to the job site, we deliver to the job site, whatever that is. I don't have to know how to pour concrete in order to to be able to sell concrete. Um, and, and that's a big, you know, from a, from a brand perspective, that's going to be a big focus for us next year because really where our, you know, we have several opportunities from underrepresented groups. But when I look at store managers and district managers, managers, we don't have very many females at all. And I think there's this perception of, right, I have to know hardware, right? I have to know home improvement in order to um, to go work there versus going and selling kind of soft line, right? Or, or working in, you know, whether it be a Target or, or clothing or something um, that's that, that maybe just feels a little a little safer, right? Because I, I, you know, it, it could be intimidating, I can imagine, you know, you want me to go run a tools department? Like, yeah. I've never worked with tools. So how do we, you know, for us, like, I don't need them to know what we can teach them that I can teach them, you know, what they need to know about a department. I can't teach them to be good leaders. I can't be, teach them to be good, you know, operators. Like those are things that they bring to the table that, um, you know, can be incredibly, incredibly successful. So that's going to be a big yeah. push for us to, to just kind of rebrand and Lowe's in general. But if you go into a Lowe's, you know, or our, our orange competitors down south, um, you know, we, we built our stores with the, the female in mind, right? Bigger signs, brighter, our shelves are lower, right? To make it easier to reach things. So, um, you know, we've really designed our stores and the shopping experience from a female's perspective because, you know, look, we've, we've all been, you know, married in relationships. At the end of the day, we don't really get to pick what counters we want or what cabinets we want. We, we may have to install stuff, but we really don't have a say in which lamp or, uh, you know, chandelier we're, we're actually actually buying. That's so interesting. I think, I think it's fascinating that it's easy for us to, 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 to have the conversation about um, uh, mo- most qualified, right, versus qualified for, for entry level, and for retail or customer facing uh, type of roles, like fleet, like drivers, that type of thing. And I wonder how long, because we wouldn't have had that conversation 10 years ago, broadly throughout our industry, right? Yeah. And I wonder how long until it hits the, you know, professional level for accountants, right? And finance or for marketing, you know, people going into marketing or directors, because I do think we get to a point in some roles and certainly in some markets where the, the advantage goes to the people who have always had the advantage. And so my experience continues to snowball while you continue to struggle to get any experience. And what you're looking for is someone to take a risk on, on you, right? To take a chance on you, to invest in you. And what I'm looking for is the person who's going to add $40,000 a year to my salary for my next role, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I just wonder how long and what it takes for us to get to that place, because I think that's when we approach the pay equity issue at, uh, at warp speed, right? Because yeah. that begins to shift that in, in all of the, the, uh, the variables, right? For all of the demographics uh, and the protected classes that are sort of struggling. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does, right? And, and you have, um, you know, I think there, there's so much you know, and we've led some classes both at American and, and starting here, right, at Lowe's of, you know, when we talk with when in our women's leadership events, right, and, you know, there, there's all the data that says, right, if I've got, I've got seven qualifications on a job and a female only hits six of them, they're like, ah, it's going to hold me out. A guy sees one, he's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I, I can do the rest <laughs> of that, right? So a lot of times, yeah. you know, they don't throw their hat, their name in the hat, right? And we talk about things like, you know, go find, who's going to be your champion? Like, go find a champion you know, somebody who's going to be an advocate for you that you can that you can learn from, who's going to you know say, you know what? Yeah, they did really good work, right? So I think a lot of times you you go back to some of those those old stereotypes where um, you know if if you have a if you have a um, a male right who is 
um, I don't know if I, aggressive is not the right term, right? But somebody who's kind of type A driven, like, you know, they're in there, they're in meetings, they're controlling meetings, right? They're like, oh, look at this guy. Like, look at him go. You could have a female doing the exact same thing, exact same words. And it's like, oh God, she's a, you know, who knows, right? So I'll, I'll say it. I'm on my second glass of wine. What a bitch. Okay. <laughs> I get it. But, but it's just like, and it's so unfair, right? So I've, I've seen, you know, really strong, powerful women take a back seat because they're worried about how they're going to come across. And rightfully so, which really sucks. Um, you know, so hopefully those things start to change and there is more, um, there's more acceptance, right? And I think just, just having the conversation, right? And just, just like what we're going through today from a, from a social perspective, just having the conversation, talking and listening, I think is, is step one. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's two sides to this. One, one is the shift in attitude of the individuals who are doing the selection itself. Mm -hmm. But I also think that the technology has to enable us in a wholly different way. So we were talking about um, percent of slate, but let's talk about about the pool that we're drawing from. So if I consume the existing job description in some professional job, and and then I put a hundred people who say they're interested for one reason or another into the pool, um, I would like the system to tell me what the demographics look like in that pool. Yeah. So they might say 12% uh, women, 4% black, are in this pool. And I would like that AI tool to also say, here's some suggested levers about what you have said you want and need that you might want to rethink, are they really necessary? Um, uh, they need a master's degree in marketing for this uh, whatever. And you drop that and, oh, by the way, it just went from eight uh, you know, 12% to 18% women and 6% uh, black, yep. you know, or, yeah, or something sure. along those lines. So there, there's a, let's say there's a negotiation phase in which a smart, sharp, upskilled recruiter is able to work with strong, solid tools to be able to rethink the pool itself as these are, this is what's a qualified candidate that enhances uh, what we're pulling from in a more representative fashion. And then we operate on the basis of the second issue, which is, okay, if I build a slate against this, I'll have a fair and diverse slate. Are you capable of managing the selection of a fair and diverse slate that I've given you? And, and so I think there's two things we have to attack. One is the enablement of looking at the pool differently um, with with that kind of variability in it, and and I'm not saying we're all there yet, but I do yep. see some new tools that are doing some of that, and that's pretty powerful in my opinion. So, so I'll retract. I said information before, and where I said it's information versus tools and technology. I wonder if it's knowledge, not information. Hmm. I, I would agree. The right and yeah, we but are, need, but are we, we going to have gonna have to rely on the tech? Are we going to have to rely on the tech to kick the shit out of the bias? Is that is that how we get it done? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, Jerry, you said something, right? And I think we just, we, we're going through this thing now as we go through our transformation. We're, we're building, like, what's our internal persona? Like, what do we need? So let's take a corporate recruiter. Like, what does a corporate recruiter need to have, right? And you know what? I, I can teach them sourcing. I can teach them, you know, uh, whatever our ATS is, right? It's really hard to teach them to be, influential right it's hard to teach them right so, so when i look at those some of those skill sets and those those competencies like being an influencer i think is so critical because to your point jerry some says oh, i need a master's in marketing i want my recruiter to say mm, do you why tell, tell me why they need a master's right and, and exactly. be comfortable pushing back on a vp svp evp to say tell me why you need that do you so if i had somebody who had this profile right coming out of you know uh uh high profile competitor at this level who was really interested in his job, you're telling me you don't want to see him. Well, no, that's not the case. Let's make it prefer. Okay. Right. So you, you can, you can influence versus so many, right. Just sit there and say, okay, 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 okay. Right. I've sat in meetings where, you know, I I've seen a recruiter say, um, where do you want to post this? And I'm just like, Oh, we're asking a hiring manager and finance where we should go source candidates. Like, we've just lost all credibility. Like right. why, you know, 
So, Barry, why am I paying you whatever I'm so, paying? So, re, so upskilling, when I'm talking about upskilling recruiting, I mean that there may be recruiters who are should be doing yeah. something else with their Absolutely. lives. They'll be very successful and we should help them accomplish that. But yeah. but I'm I'm convinced that that we need this level of expertise to be respected that they can come to the hiring manager as an equal. Yeah. They they should have the knowledge, the education, the skills um, to be able to sit down with them. Now, obviously they're going to have to get paid to be able to do that. But, but I have to tell you. I don't know if it's a comp issue though, Jerry. I feel like it is a cultural. So here's, here's another, it is a systemic challenge to have recruiters, to, to Rob's point, I think, that feel empowered enough to, to make a difference, to have a conversation, to take people with them versus be little order takers, task makers. Yeah. Like, but, if, I, but if Rob I had hired finished. a bunch of people who didn't do that, I would be all over Rob as to what the hell are you doing hiring <laughs> people that don't have these capabilities? So, you know, he's he has to deal with the issue of, how do I either train or upskill them to be able to do it? And if they can't do it in the long run, they need to find something else to do, yep. or I need to help them reskill to do something else. You know, all those are positive outcomes, really, uh, for the individuals. But yeah, but well, I, will, I will say that that you know, recruiting is a profession, and we should be hiring people that we can put in even at the lowest level. The bar is so low, Jerry. The bar is so low to get into recruiting that everybody has that challenge that Rob has. Every freaking body has it. I know. Everybody can be a recruiter. I know, but we take them one at a time. Yeah, but and Chris, to your point, right? I do think there's something that says, okay, if I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a recruiter slash senior recruiter, right? Um, and I'm working with a VP, like, am I able to talk back? Right? Can can I challenge this person? Right? So it's building that that safety net that says, look, if I get a call from a, a from a hiring manager saying that you're pushing back, I'm gonna come high five you. I'm I'm not gonna scold you. Right? I I'm encouraging that. I always say like, give me give me. I tell you, if I ever and I have yet to get a call to this day. If I ever have a hiring manager call me says your recruiter is calling me too much or following up too much on the resumes. Trust me, I've got the recruiters back all day. It's yet to happen, but we've all gotten enough calls that says, haven't heard from my recruiter in three weeks. And they asked the recruiter, well, I sent them resumes. Okay, now what? So, yeah. Well, so I have one point. And the one point is the three of us in this room have in the past at some point in our history been recruiters. Yep. Yep. And I have, I, I know I can, st- you know, work for myself. I quickly learned I would put it on the line because I just don't want to be dealing with assholes yeah. who are hiring managers. And so I would push as hard as I could. But the first thing that I did when I left that room where I know I pissed off that guy was call my boss. You are going to get a call. Buckle yep. up. And, you know, yes, they know. I had, I had the confidence that my boss trusted me enough that he would hold that hiring manager accountable. And, and that's th- those things, some of those things you can train, some of them you can't. Your right. willingness to take risks, you know, because you know it's right, because this is my company as much as your company, because I am an equal coming into this, even though you may be making more money than me, or you may be a director. I've had the kind of education that allows me to better understand what it is the business needs in addition to what you think you need. And I, I, I need to be respected as well as respecting you uh, for what we're trying to accomplish co- together at, for this company. And I'm convinced we can train some of the recruiters to be able to get there because they want to be, they want to be the next Rob Doherty. They want, they want to get there, but you know, not everyone. So so in the same vein, Rob's talking about being an influencer. I, so we talk to a lot of TA leaders all the time, like all all the time. That's your whole job, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's the whole job. That's all we do. But probably once a month, Maybe maybe every five or six weeks, I'll get a call from a recruiter or a senior recruiter who's trying to make director and can't understand why they're getting passed over and can't understand why they're, why they're not getting there. And the lesson that I learned that I think is kind of the same thing you're saying, Rob, and, and it's 
anybody can do the work, right? A good director doesn't just get the work done. A good director takes people with them, right? Can influence the team to go with them on the journey, right? You can make somebody a director and they can slam shit in all day and push buttons and make, make stuff work, but a really good director, an influencer, gets the entire team behind them to go with them. And that is a hard thing, I think, to your point, to, to teach, because somebody's yeah. got to want to inspire people and get them fired up. And maybe some of that is an innate, right? A personality trait. That, yeah, I think there, it's, it's development other than it's, it's all of the development you do as a leader, not as a recruiting expert, right? So, you know, we've, we've been to multiple TA conferences and there's always great things I learned. But what I, when I, when I get the really good ones, right? When I get in front of the, the, you know, the top TA thought leaders, I'm never talking about what technology they're looking at. I'm talking about how they're leading their team, right? How they led through transformation, how they, um, you know, how they convince their hiring managers to do things that are sometimes kind of crazy. Um, you know, we've done that. We, we've taken on, you know, we may take on my team, all of frontline hiring at Lowe's at some point. We build a couple of teams to go in and, and do that kind of as a triage for when we get behind. But um, the store's like, well, you guys can, you know, better than my assistant store manager, my store manager, you guys know talent better than we do. Why don't we, you guys just do all of this? Um, you know, and what, what our plan is for 2021 is to automate a lot of that, right? Which is going to, because I'll tell you today, and you guys both know how big of a, fanatic am around candidate experience. Like our candidate experience sucks today. You know, we had two and a half million candidates in the first six months. And we've probably talked to 350,000 of them. The rest of them are just sitting out there. Like we've got to fix it, like technology process. There's all sorts of things that we've got to do to fix. Um, you know, but it's, it's one of those that and I, I, I had a good point in my head, which is completely gone now. Is, is <laughs> dog looks like he's trying to chase something. Well, what um, I, well, yes. Well, just refresh your your glass, and it'll come back. Yeah, there you go. It will. Yeah, so how how are our glasses doing? How are our glasses doing? Does anybody have any uh, insight on their on the wine of choice that they're drinking? Do you have any notes? My, mine is good. Are? It's gotten spicier as a result. So I'm I'm kind of liking it. I like mine. I'm looking on my wine lexicon, and mine sits clearly in the red wine fruit section. Yeah, mine not too. Quite fresh and jammy, but but not the not quite dried fruit. Yeah, no, mine's yeah. fresh. Mine's mine's pretty dry. Let's see. I'm a I'm a big fan of um, and I I my, my lexicon is is over in a in a uh, on my counter, but you know I'm a big fan of my Vivino app. So. According to Vivino, it's a deep garnet, nose of wild strawberries and currants, a palette of crushed red cherries and Anjou pears with a rich layered finish. I like Much it. more. And then, you know, it, I, I think a lot of them just throw out a lot of the words. For me, it's, it's really good and I keep pouring more. So if I keep <laughs> pouring more, that's... And, I, it you know, down, I, and it goes down easily. Yeah, so I don't know if I should get upset. I do a, um, obviously I don't go to the grocery stores with everything going on. I, I have the food delivered. And for the last four weeks, each week, the person from, from the beverage order place that I get drops the alcohol off and says, are you guys having a party? And I'm like, <laughs> no, we're not having a party. No, we're just, you're refilling the tank. It's <laughs> so where you just say, my dog is a lush. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, Rob, uh, I think you've got a fantastic team. Uh, and I don't say this just because, you know, you guys are members. I say you've got a lot of recruiters in a lot of different places that are doing a lot of different things that are hungry. And yeah. we know that because you guys created your own Lowe's exchange uh, on, on the CXR website, which has been a pretty interesting experiment. But I also know that because this morning – I got a call. You don't know this yet. So yeah, I got, a, got a, a meeting request this morning from one of your recruiters to just catch up and ask us what he should really be focused on to get the most out of his network. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. I talked to him for about 20 minutes. Uh, I'm going to out him. Can I out him? Please do. Yes. Uh, I love it. Marco. Marco. Uh, okay. It was his name. 
fun to talk to him. He had a, he's, he's responsible for 12 different stores. He's got a passion for uh, analytics. Of course, now he's going to get recruited like crazy when we publish this. But Don't give he, him the last name. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And he's, he's known for bad attendance, poor attendance, right? He's on a write-up <laughs> for anybody who's listening. That's right. Uh, but it was great to talk to him and catch up. And I just think that, you know, when you've got a leader who's got people on their team who are proactively saying, what do I got to do to get better? What should I be focused on? That's pretty impressive, not just of the team, but I think of the leadership that empowers them to do that. Yeah, so yeah. I, it's, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating when, you know, the team of, of 500, right? So it's interesting. I have... Um, Insane. So I'll yeah. first tell you that, that a lot of them, like, they've had a rough year. So a year ago, as we went through HR transformation, um, we, you know, knew we moved to Workday, not Workday Recruiting, um, but core HR and some others, and then with some new processes that um, ended up not not working out. We had we had some some issues, and then uh, I still hear this from our EVP of stores. He, was, he brought this up the other day. He said, you know, so we're 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 talking about 2021. He was bringing up stuff from 2019, right? Of the last year, you went through this, and we couldn't hire for six weeks, and you cost you know TA cost me 150 million dollars. He loves that. He loves to tell, tell that story. Right. So like through that, like so many of these recruiters, like they got beat up and they got beat up daily for six weeks um, to no, no fault of their own. Right. They, they didn't have system access and it was, you know, it, it was pretty ugly. And um, you know, as, as we've kind of turned that corner and, and had a, you know, a really, really good year so far, you know, we're, we're still, you know, living with kind of this brand of, yeah, TA is a mess. Um, so we're going through and kind of rebranding that. But now as we kind of go through this next really TA transformation, you know, one of the things I've worried about is, you know, this is a lot of change for them and, and bringing them along. And the feedback that I've gotten um, about how excited they are about this is, is phenomenal. So um, I, I do this, I get, you know, especially living here in North Carolina by myself, sometimes I get bored and I, I have these, I'll send usually about once a month this email that's called Rob's Ramblings. And it is literally everything from there's some, you know, business input, there's some recognition. You know, we've talked about what's happening from with COVID. We've talked about kind of civil unrest. And I've, you know, I've used this as an opportunity to kind of open myself up, right? Kind of that vulnerability and talked about here's, you know, here's my thoughts, right? Here's why you know, I, I have white privilege, right? I've never been pulled over because of the color of my skin and I never will, um, you know? And, and some of these conversations that we've, we've had and, and kind of through this basically just throw up of, of information that usually I try to keep pretty funny and there's been lots of Tiger King references. There's, it's been all over the place. So it's, uh, you know, maybe 30% work and 70% <clears throat> is other, other random things that come into my head. But the feedback I've gotten from that is kind of this connection, because you can't connect with 500 people um, right. consistently. So how, you know, to me, it was like, how do I connect with, with this team that I need for me to be successful and for our business to be successful? So it's little things like that that I just kind of learned along the way that's really, really helped. And I think help from an engagement perspective and really pushing along to where they're really excited about this this transformation, and um, you know I'm really looking forward to uh, to the next year. But it's people like like Marco, right, that have this drive and desire to be better. And I get emails weekly about, hey, how do I how do I improve on this? Or hey, I'd love to be part of this project. Or hey, just thanks for being, you know, yeah. open and honest and um, you know, the, the whole exchange through, um, through Career Crossroads. So nobody had ever even knew what Career Crossroads was until we set up the call that, that right, Barb right. kind of walked through, um, um, and Barb and Shannon. And, you know, after that, they're like, oh, this is great. Like, here's a community of, of my people, right, that I can go out and talk or learn. And, um, you know, they still talk about this today. And, I, you know, somebody that day had volunteered, hey, I'll go help and lead this. And, um, you know, I think, again, it goes back to what you guys, you know, do and are passionate about to give that platform for like-minded people to, uh, to engage and ask questions and, 
and participate, I think. And we're learning, we're learning from you too. We realize that we need oh, yeah. to get deeper into organizations, but that the cost return of charging you to go deeper is just, it doesn't make sense. So we have to make it part of the, part of the membership. So we're, we're starting to think about, and we just talked today about, uh, and, and you, you came up as, as an example as well, mm-hmm. uh, in talking today about, we need to run a couple different things that are just for recruiters, but don't cost, um, you know, a seat or anything like that. Yeah. Just, just set it up so that it's part of membership, but for that level, um, you know, offer, I don't know, things related to sourcing or things related to marketing or whatever that, that are more relevant to the recruiters at the trench level. Yeah. Um, and because, we, you know, obviously in the past, we've, so we don't want to be a training organization. But on the other hand, if we're talking about peers who are sharing with each other, and that's that's the you know the content that goes on. Then yeah, we're we're focusing in on what our platform can best do. Yeah. So, uh, so, look, so that's uh, helpful to us. You know, your your interest in in ensuring that your your um, five hundred folks get that you have resources for them uh, is something that resonates with us from that point of view too. So I thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. So look, I, I, let's. I want to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up. This has been an interesting. Um, this has been an interesting uncork. We got three white guys with three, <laughs> three different red wines, and we're just hoping that somebody walked away with at least three laughs or three three things to think about. <laughs> That's so right. I feel like That's we right. could have we could have marketed it better, but uh, Rob, it's it's always fun to catch up with you. I I, I still miss uh, life size Jenga in Austin. I feel like uh, it's a whole other story, but maybe for another podcast. Yeah, that, uh, that's like late night on court. That, that's, that's after <laughs> hour. That's right. I like it. I like it. Well, we were at a karaoke bar. Yes, that is true. We've, we've been in a couple karaoke bars. Um, you know, and, and for me, you know, when I, when I think about Career Crossroads, right, these, there's all of the work content that I get out of it. But I think more importantly, there's, you know, I, I feel honored to call both of you friends. And um you know, it's it's great because I learned I learned so much from both of you. But um, at the same time, we could you know go sing karaoke and and play giant Jenga <laughs> right before we go play karaoke. So. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Career Crossroads Uncorked. Chris Hoyt and Jerry Crispin look forward to sharing more drinks and conversation with you next time. Until then, cheers.